Years ago, when Sandy and I were part of a new church plant, a plant outside of New York City in suburban New Jersey, a new man visited for worship one Sunday. Now, at that time, our little fledgling congregation was meeting in a rented building, a city recreation hall. There were pool tables on the side of the room in the location where I would stand up to speak during the worship services. The building looked nothing like a church building, a place where Christians would get together for worship. Now, after the service, this man approached me and asked, Is this a cult? Now, when he asked that, I thought, if we were a cult, would I tell him, yes, we're a cult, and we're trying to draw you into our net? Well, of course not. If we were a cult, we would think we're the real thing. So I told the man that we were Presbyterians. <laughs> and maybe he'd think that was worse than being a cult. I don't know. But I pointed out to him that no cult would admit they were one. Instead, I encouraged that he should check us out for himself. Now, Paul is writing this fledgling church in Colossa. And in the empire at the time, there were a multitude of different religions and cults that were being practiced. The religious diversity there was far greater than what we experience. Now, in the midst of this environment, Paul knows that the new believers are in constant danger. And here's what he says to them. You'll find it in Colossians 2, verse 4 to 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet, with you, yet I am with you in spirit. I rejoice to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, we know that Paul can't visit with them. We've learned he's writing this letter from prison. He doesn't have the ability to deal with all the challenges to their faith in Christ as they come up. Now, he will, in the letter, deal with what he's heard is threatening them. Suffice it to say, at this point, he knows they're under attack. As baby Christians, recent believers in Jesus, he knows how vulnerable they are that they could easily be drawn from their community into Christ into groups of false faiths. They were at risk, you could say. This is true, not only at that moment in time, but every moment in time. In the last hundred years, scores of offshoots have grown from the life of the church. Many of them have been unhealthy distractions from the truth of the gospel. Some have turned toward the right, toward legalism, putting more and more emphasis of living the life, a moral life to please God on your own. They've added to the gospel rules that were never meant to be a part of faith in Christ. On the, on the other side, some groups have denied the truth of scripture or the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You may hear from these groups much about social justice, but little about the cross of Jesus and what he has done for us. And by the way, justice is not a bad thing, but it's not a replacement for Christ. Christ is the one who leads us to practice mercy and justice in our world. Now, there are others that replace the way of grace with a political philosophy. But Paul says that the church can be deluded with 
plausible arguments and thereby distracted from Jesus and the truth of the gospel. And that leaves us with this question. How do we know who's speaking the truth? The Apostle John wrote the church in Ephesus with the same concern for them. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, every teaching, every idea, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you shall know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now first, John says, we have to test these beliefs, test the spirits, listen to the message we're hearing, and consider this. Do they believe Jesus is God, who has come to us in human flesh? Do they believe the message about who Jesus is and what he's done for us at the cross? You see, that is the key. It's easy to drift from the gospel toward other beliefs. You have no gospel at all if you do that. Paul told the Galatians, if you add anything to the gospel, you don't have a watered-down gospel. You've lost the gospel completely. It's as simple as that. And he said, if even an angel in heaven appears to you and shares with you another message, don't believe it. Reject it. There is no other message from God. Now, the gospel is not the preface to the book. It's not the beginning of our life as followers of Jesus. It's the whole story from A to Z. So as we read Paul's letter to Colosso, we can see that he would love to visit them, to give them solid teaching, to help them to remain focused on Christ. But he can't do that. And this is why he's writing this letter. Now, also along the way, he sees that he asked the believers in Colossae to pass this letter along to the church in Laodicea. He has the same concerns for this group of believers as well. And this also is where we are. We need to be careful of what you might call Christ and. Christ in your politics. Christ in your club. Christ and your own beliefs about where the world is going. You see, there's no Christ and. There's only Christ. Only he can save us. Only he, reve he reveals to us who God is. Only he can show us the blueprint for human life. Only he can provide us with forgiveness and love and the welcome of God. Only he can fully claim, calm our anxious hearts and give us true and lasting rest. Only he can give us life. Let's pray. Lord God, it's true. We're swimming in a vast sea of ideas and beliefs. Give us clarity to see Jesus. Remind us each day to look to him. Let us yoke our lives to him that we might find rest for our souls. For in his name we pray. Amen.